Hello, and welcome to the Church on the Hill podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to join us live this Sunday at 500 Sands Drive in San Jose, California. Visit churchonthehill.com for service times and directions, and also to learn more about connecting, growing, and serving at Church on the Hill. Now let's join lead pastor Scott Simarok as he teaches at Church on the Hill. I have one question for you today and one question only. Um, beware when the pastor says he only has one thing to say today. It's going to go long. My question is this. Have you ever said yes when you should have said no? You know, you're already laughing. This is going to be easy. You know the moment inside you where you're like, yes, but something inside of you goes, no, I shouldn't. I'll put this in spiritual terms. Your craving side just says, yes. And the Holy Spirit whispers to you, no. Um, Here's what's funny. Right now, this is kind of odd. um, If we pulled the room to say, uh, what situation or scenario are you currently thinking about when I say that? Like, when did you say yes when you should have said no? The reality is this. We would have like a hundred different responses and a hundred different scenarios going through the room right now. Let me just give you a couple. Some of you are thinking about work. You should have said no to that project, but your people-pleasing nature said yes. Some of you are thinking about dessert last night. Should have said no. Maybe y'all were thinking about Friday night, hanging out with some friends at a bar, whatever that meant. You should have said no, and you said yes. Maybe you think about golf yesterday. Like, haven't been around the kids much, but I said yes to golf. I probably should have said no. Some of you are actually thinking about your entire college career. There are a whole lot of opportunities where you said yes, and you should have said no. Um, ton of situations could be popping in your head right now. During the pandemic, there was a brand new craving, maybe not brand new, but a heightened craving where people were struggling to say no. Here it is. When you are stuck at home with nothing to do, but fear dying, right? Because that was the pandemic. There is this draw, this draw to go online to view things that would make you feel better. So you look around to see if your family is looking right now and you pop open the laptop And you type in that one word that you are craving. This word. Oh, what'd you think I was talking about? Amazon, right? You can get almost anything delivered to your door in less than 48 hours for the Dutch price of free, right? Recently, I ordered something really critical. It was an essential to life. It was a steering wheel cover for my truck. Hey, don't laugh. My steer, my truck is so old, the steering wheel starts coming off in your fingers as you are driving, right? And I'm thinking, before it disintegrates, I need to order this steering wheel cover. And it's not just any steering wheel cover. Get this. It is a carbon fiber wrapped steering wheel cover. Yeah, for a truck. There are not you electric vehicle people in this room. You don't get it. So I I ordered it, and before I clicked, like, buy, purchase, it said, order in the next 15 minutes, and it will be there by 8 a.m. I could order tonight and have it with my coffee in the morning. 
I'm like, yes. So today, and by the way, I was saying yes, and my wife was like, no. I'm like, babe, carbon fiber wrapped, yes. It got there for my coffee in the morning. I was super excited. So today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the power to say no when you want to say yes. So we're in this series called Life-Giving Habits. See this diagram? This will bring you up to speed in about 30 seconds here. When we became Christians, Jesus invited us to this brand new life in Christ, right? Where we would experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, humility, generosity. I mean, all of these great features in life. It's the place that we crave and where we want to be, but there's something that battles against us. There's obstacles that stand in the way and are these unhealthy emotions of fear, anxiety, and despair. And when we have those unhealthy feelings in unhealthy ways, the problem is this, it leads to unhealthy habits. So the point of this message today is simply this, I mean, right up front, I'm going to invite you to embrace some healthy habits, some healthy habits that are going to empower you to say no when what you really were craving is yes. So here we go. The habit, there's only one habit today. Here it is. It's the habit of ceasing. It's the habit of ceasing, which is the exercising of no muscles. Now, I want to be really, really clear on this, okay? Uh, These two statements are very different when it says exercising no muscles and exercising no muscles. I'm talking about the first one where we're going to exercise our ability to say no when we're craving yes. So um, just a quick question before we turn to Matthew chapter four, get there. When you say yes to something, when you want to, when you should be saying no, what it's revealing is this, there's something driving you. There's something driving your craving and it could be this, it could be people pleasing. It could be success. It could be the craving for power, for pleasure, for control. It could be the craving to prove yourself to your parents who probably aren't even around anymore, but somehow that drives us. So just question, uh, in the scenario you were thinking of, what's driving you? Uh, To figure out how this worked in Jesus's life, we're going to look at these cravings that he was tempted to have in Matthew chapter four. So make sure you're there. Matthew chapter four, we're going to be in verse one, open up there, grab your notes. There's a lot to go through. We're going to be, I I just dare you to keep up this morning. All right. This is going to be fast paced. The background to this, Jesus just got baptized in the Jordan river by John. In the moment where he goes underwater and then comes back up at that very moment, God's voice is heard. And it says this, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Don't miss this. These words from a father to his son. This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. God was proud of his son before he ever did a miracle, before he ever preached a message. Jesus didn't earn God's approval. He had it. The father loved him. And this is going to be really, really important in the next step of his journey because here's the next step of his journey. Chapter four, verse one. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Verse two. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was, he was hungry and the tempter came to him. Now we know it is possible to actually not eat for 40 days. You, you got to have water. You can't not drink. You got to have water, but you can fast for 40 days without doing irreparable harm to your body. And Matthew, 
also known as Captain Obvious, makes this statement. He was hungry. Like, no, no kidding. But it's in this moment where Jesus' cravings were in an all-time high that the scripture says the tempter came to him. Listen, this is how he works, just so you know. The devil has a scheme, and it's this. When you are tired, when you are hungry, when you are at your wit's end, when you're frustrated, that's when temptation comes to us. And that's when temptation hit Jesus. The tempter, the devil, comes to him. Now, most of us, we have never fasted for 40 days. And we're probably not going to be tempted with the very same things that Jesus was tempted with. But let's be super clear. When I show you the three things that are at the heart of Jesus's temptation, you and I have all been tempted with the same things. So here it is. We're going to look at this and ask the question, what drove Jesus in the three temptations he's about to face? So here it is. The temptation number one was this. It was to crave comfort. Let me show it to you. Look at verse three. It says this. The tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, every verse in here has so many different dynamics to it. Let me just give you a couple of these. Question, is it really comfort that Jesus was craving? He, he fasted for 40 days in my opinion, it seems pretty urgent. It's a necessity. It's important. It's vital to survival. I mean, it's not like the devil was tempting him with, uh, with like, hey, go steal your coworker's lunch or go, go rob a grocery store to feed yourself. He's like, just turn these stones. Turn them into bread. I mean, if you are the son of God. Now, most texts read this, since you are the son of God. The NIV changes it to if you are, as if he's helping him doubt that. I think actually both phrases make it tempting for Jesus to go, am I really who my father says I am? Does God really love me? But this temptation we know is, I mean, it's not a moral temptation. Like, hey, do this thing that's wrong. But this temptation, this suggestion, it's first of all, it's this. It's driven by the, success, by the suggestion of the devil. So we know this, it cannot be trusted. But here's, I think, what's at the heart of it. It's taking an important thing like food, taking an essential thing like food and making it the main thing. This is what I mean. Who led him into the desert? It says the Holy Spirit of God led him there. So at the end of his 40 days, the question is this, where's the Holy Spirit leading him now? What does his father want for him? We know what Jesus wants. He wants some biscuits and gravy. It's a loose, loose translation of the text, okay? I mean, he, he wants to eat. But this thing that even is a necessity, it's an important thing, but it ain't the main thing. The main thing is this, what, what does the Holy Spirit want? What does the father want for him? Question. Are we actually any different? We look at our own lives and we determine what's essential. We determine what's the main thing. God, I have all of these needs and we don't even call them wants. When in reality, we have an awful lot of things that we seek that are what I would call comforts. They're cravings. Even if they are actually necessities, the main thing in life is this. God, what do you want for me? What do you want from me? How can I honor you? You're guiding, you're directing me. So God, I wanna put the, you as the main thing instead of my comfort as the main thing. So to combat his temptation, here's what Jesus does. He uses the scriptures. 
He actually quotes the Old Testament from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And if you know Deuteronomy 8, it's this story of the Hebrews, the Israelites, walking through their own wilderness as they're escaping Egypt on their way to the promised land. Let me read to you the larger context, then I'll, I'll share with you what Jesus quoted. Ready? Deuteronomy 8, 1, it says, Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Enter this wonderful, beautiful life that I have for you. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 days? Here's why he did it. To humble and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. Make note of this. When you struggle, when God leads you through a season of struggle, it will reveal what drives you, what's in your heart. Whether it, I'm continuing to read uh, Deuteronomy 8. Whether or not you will keep his commands, he humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. See, when you go through a really hard time and you turn to God and he provides for you, it builds this trust in him. And then Jesus quotes, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That's the main thing. God, I want to hear from you. Your, your desire for my life is more important than my cravings that I would even call essential. Question, why is this so important for Jesus not to seek the comfort of bread at this moment? And here's why. Three years later from that moment in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus would be, he would have a new craving and he would cry out in the garden of Gethsemane, God, take this cup from me. You know what I'm talking about, right? He knew he was going to go die on a cross and he prays, God, take this cup from me, but not my will, but your will be done because what lie in front of Jesus at that moment was the cross. But way back three years previous, he doesn't follow his own will and his own craving. He actually follows what God wants for him. So Jesus, he does this. He quotes this scripture where, where how the, the people were to rely on God's needs. Um, I just want to be clear about this. You, I guarantee you, have already faced, and in the future, you will face this moment where you want something. You want to have your way. You want to have your attitude. You want to have your worldview. You want to have something. Maybe it's a thing. Maybe it's a relationship. You want to have something. And as you sit in God's word and you're reading, you're like, no, no, no. I don't think God wants that for me. It will be that moment in your life where you will be tested. This thing that we call God's word will just become a book to you or a tradition to you. Or your faith will actually become meaningless to you because you decide what I want, I want, and I'm going to pursue regardless of what God wants. Or it'll be a building block, a faith moment in your life where you realize that you're willing to put the main thing as the main thing. And that means walking in obedience to God. You will face it and you have faced it. Um, so just a quick question. What about you? If you had to write something down to this question, what are you craving? What are you craving and maybe making the important thing your main thing instead of making the main thing the priority of walking in obedience to God? If something comes to mind right now, I would challenge you with this. Just write it down. Write it down and think about that. Now, uh, we have uh, two other temptations to go. And did you notice, though, 
uh, Jesus to battle his temptation, use the scriptures. I want to make note of this. He's the son of God, but completely human at the same time. But what does he use to combat Satan? The word of God. He doesn't call on angels. He doesn't call on miraculous powers. He doesn't exercise his, his divine right to, to do miracles. What does he do? He quotes the Bible. Here's what's interesting. You and I have that same power. He resisted temptation by calling on the scriptures and obeying it. We can't say, listen, he was obedient because he's Jesus, right? I mean, he's God's son. He's just powerful. No, he quoted the scriptures and then he obeyed. But make note of this. The devil is about to do the same thing, use the scriptures and twist it. Listen to the second temptation. This temptation is to crave this attention. Verse five, then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. Let me explain this. Um, the place where they probably think Jesus was standing and where the devil took him is this place in the corner of the temple that is 200 feet above the Kidron Valley. Temple's a busy place. There are always people there. People would be watching. And could you imagine if Jesus like, okay, let me prove it to you. And he steps off and he falls 200 feet. And yet in that moment, God rescues him. He would be drawing attention, craving prestige, power. What was this actual temptation? The devil actually tempts him into this sick kind of trust fall. If you really trust your father, if you really, if he loves you and you believe he does, then go ahead and jump and show everybody. Um, it is interesting though, that the devil isn't done with his temptation. He actually quotes Psalm 91. Listen to it. It's in verse six. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. He, he's like quoting the scriptures. Like, listen, God promises he'll protect his son. So like, you should just jump. Now, I, I want you to hear me carefully in this. If any of you kind of know the scriptures, I mean, you got like half a dozen verses highlighted in your Bible and like they're your favorite ones and you always go to those. You, you kind of know the scriptures. You don't know all the scriptures. I, I'm going to say it this way and I hope this doesn't offend too many people. But um, when you kind of know the scriptures, you are actually dangerous to yourself and others because you can find a, a verse to justify any craving you have. Devil quoted him a scripture and according to that, he should have jumped. But because Jesus knows the entirety of scripture, he's like, no, no, no. Let me quote to you something else. Verse seven, Jesus answered him. It is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. You see, in the future, Jesus would face these same temptations. When he did this miraculous moment where he broke bread and broke fish and like everybody's like, hey, do it again, do it again. Feed us again, we're still hungry. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not doing what you want me to do. I do the things that the father wants me to do. When his disciples were really upset with him because they're like, how are you going to go die on a cross? You're here to create a new kingdom. And by that, they meant overthrow the Roman government. They think that that's why Judas betrayed Jesus. He's like, no, no, you're not following the agenda that I thought we were. And so Jesus would have to stand up to, you know what? I need to not do what you're telling me to do. I need to do what the father tells me to do. Just a quick question. 
Are you ever tempted to fill your craving for attention, for significance, or prestige, instead of truly following God's word? I think there's something to this that maybe we're tempted to prove ourselves to people. We put ourselves in purposefully risky situations to say, okay, God, now you got to come through. And we're running with our will instead of God's will to say, God, if you call me to something and it's risky, then I know you'll be faithful in the midst of it. But I have to know that it is your voice leading me and calling me instead of just my wants and my own cravings. Third temptation is the temptation to crave success. Look at verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. What's the temptation? Well, in this case, he's promising him all these kingdoms. And by the way, it's not like the devil was giving him a completely false promise because the kingdom of this world, Satan is known as the kingdom of this world here on earth. He says, I'll give you all these kingdoms. So what's the, the temptation? Well, it's actually personal success. Maybe power. I mean, eventually Jesus would be more than just king over this kingdom on earth, but the kingdoms of the heaven. So what's the temptation? The path that the father had for Jesus went through the cross. So the temptation was to obtain the crown as the king without enduring the cross. And we know this, that when Jesus cried out, In that garden, God, take this cup from me. He didn't want to go to the cross, but he wanted obedience to his father more than anything because it was through the cross that salvation for people would be purchased. The temptation, too, was also this. It was to break the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall not have, you do not have any other gods before me. And Jesus is like, it's not worth it. Even if he was given all the the, the kingdoms of the world on earth, It wouldn't actually save anyone. Verse 10, Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Two things here. He tells the devil where to go. By the way, James in chapter 4, verse 7 reminds us this. If uh, submit to God and the devil will flee. You have the same power. You can tell him where to go. You just tell him, devil, go to hell because that's where you belong. Leave me alone. You have that power as a believer. So Jesus' choice is kind of interesting. It appears clear. Well, you can serve the devil or you can serve God. Uh, Let me think. I'll serve my father. (laughs) Wouldn't it be awesome if if our decisions were that clear too? I could serve the devil or I could serve God. And if I'm a Christian, I'm like, I'm going to choose God. Here's the problem. Not all of the decisions in our life are that clear, right? Because the truth is this, I I just want what I want and I want when I want it and and how I want it. And I just want it so much that that I I can convince myself that God's actually on my team. Why would God put that craving in me uh, unless he he wanted to fulfill that? And I know just enough scriptures to justify that craving. Um, The hard part is this, um, we sometimes think, that God's on our side. Can I be really clear about this? God has one team, and it's his team. He's the captain. He's the leader. We're fortunate 
to be on it. D.A. Carson, he writes this, God does not exist to bless us. Not in the first instance. We exist for him. By his will, we were made and for his glory. In fact, Colossians chapter one says, Christ is God's agent in creation such that all things were made by him and for him. We were created for him, for his glory, for relationship with him, not so that he could join our team. We don't have a team. And I think we forget this sometimes. We pretend like Jesus is on our side. So the question is just this. How are your cravings? Is it for success? Is it for attention? Is it for power? Is it for just your way? The temptations end like this in verse 11. Then the devil left him because he has to when Christians command them to leave. And the the angels came and attended him. What does that mean? It means they fed him. They encouraged Jesus. They rewarded him. They, They allowed him to rest. Jesus This moment is right before he steps into public ministry and he's tested and he's tried and he comes out without failing, showing that he's, he's ready. So here's what I want to do. Each of those, um, each of those temptations reveals something about what was driving Jesus. For Jesus, the desert was a place where he practiced the habit of ceasing See, we can look at all the temptations, but back up for just a moment. You go into the wilderness without food, and he's ceasing from eating. But think about this. He's ceasing from the noise of people. He's alone. He's ceasing from distraction. He's ceasing from work. He's ceasing from comfort. And here's what's amazing. All of these habits are still available to you and me today. Most of us are probably never going into the desert for 40 days without food, hoping that we will survive, right? But to some degree, all of these spiritual practices of ceasing are available to us. I want you to take a look in your notes. I'm going to walk you through this quickly as we wrap this up. The first is this, what can we cease from? I'm going to call it ceasing noise. You got a lot of noise in your life, come on. A lot of opinions, a lot of voices, a lot of things happening where we just live distracted. So if we're going to cease the noise, let me give you three habits. Here's one, the habit of solitude. The habit of solitude is ceasing people, just ceasing from being around them. People pleasers, listen up. (laughs) If you want to hear God's voice out of all the other voices in your head, then solitude is getting alone and silencing those voices and silencing sometimes the presence of people. But listen, even after those people are no longer physically with you, sometimes their voices still rattle in your head. It's the habit of silence. It's ceasing noise. It's helpful if we find ourselves distracted. I, I don't know what you're like, but I, there's a lot of you that like, Uh, There's just so much going on that you're listening to me right now and you're thinking about five other things and you're kind of looking at what someone's doing over there and over there like this. Oh, a squirrel look. I mean, this is just how you operate. To have solitude and silence, ceasing people, ceasing noise, it helps the voice of God become clear to us. Let me give you another habit that will help you in this. It's the habit of secrecy and it's seeking or ceasing recognition. I know that might sound super weird, but it's essentially this habit. Um, To combat our desire for recognition or success, 
It's doing really good things for other people and not letting anybody know. You show generosity. You sacrifice. You give something away to people, and you don't say a word. It's a secret so that nobody will give you credit or recognition. Because oftentimes, what are we driven by? Being approved by people? Getting credit for things? So here's the benefit. Are you driven by people's approval or by God's approval? Are are you driven by your wants or God's wants? And so I would invite you into this ceasing of the noise by silence, solitude, and secrecy. Um, One of our elders was uh, sharing with me that they wanted to go to their family cabin all by himself so that he could get away and have some silence and some solitude. Uh, when I do this, I, I'll take a day or half a day and I will run to an isolated beach with my Bible and my journal just to be alone and just to have quiet. Now, if I don't have that kind of half day available, um, I go into a coffee shop and I turn my earbuds on and hit the noise canceling feature and I'm not even listening to music or anything. It's just, you know that moment when you hit that little button, it's all... And you look around and the world is operating, but it's like operating on mute. It's fantastic. Some of you young kids, try it. You can't hear them. And I'll sit in a coffee shop for a couple hours. And it's funny, when you put earbuds in in a coffee shop, no one talks to you. It's fantastic. And even in the busy rat race of life, you can find some silence and some solitude. Here's the second ceasing I would invite you to. Uh, cease from comfort. This is a super popular one. It's the habit of fasting when you cease eating. Um, If you've never tried this, start it this way. Uh, From sunup to sundown, or maybe sunup to noon, okay? Let's not push it. Let's start easy, all right? I know some of you are super proud. You're like, listen, from sundown to sunup, every day I fast. Congratulations. Try and stop eating for a period. Not as a diet, please, okay? You're not looking for the physical effects of this. Intermittent fasting, it's really good for the body. Yes, it is, but this is about a spiritual thing. I'll tell you what happens in me. My body starts slowing down. Instead of walking at the normal pace that I normally walk, because I'm jacked up on caffeine, (laughs) I slow down. And it's really funny because my mind does the same thing. I don't move as fast. I don't think as fast, which means this. I can actually focus. And it quiets my soul so I can actually listen to what God is saying. I don't know how many of you have tried this. You want your soul to expand? You want to find the ability to say no when you're actually craving yes? Try fasting. Let me give you another habit under this uh, ceasing comfort. The habit of frugality. It means this. Um, Just cease purchasing. (laughs) Shut down Amazon for a little while. Block it. Let me give you a couple ways that um, I've done this before. Uh, Don't buy groceries for a week. (gasps) What? Try for two weeks. I guarantee you, you have enough food in your house. You could live a month. You might be eating baked beans, canned green beans, and like honey. I don't know, but like... You won't die from eating that for a meal. It just won't be comfortable. Try it sometime. Just don't purchase stuff. 
Okay, if that's uncomfortable, then um, you keep going to the grocery store, go to Trader Joe's and buy that and like keep eating, but shut down all, I'll call them unnecessary purchases. Like clothes, don't buy new clothes for a month. Don't buy new shoes. Don't buy um, new gadgets, no trinkets, no new steering wheel cover, even the carbon fiber wrapped steering wheel covers. Like just don't, don't buy stuff. If stuff breaks, fix it. If the TV breaks, go without it. Like, just stop the purchasing for a while. And what God might do is separate in your own heart, like, oh, I thought that was a necessity. But it truly is a comfort for me. Um, here's the benefit. Oh, by the way, I'll give you this, the habit of sacrifice. Sacrifice is just this. It's when um, whatever you would spend on a comfort item, you take that money and you give it away. By the way, do it in secrecy. Whatever it is you would spend on that meal out. Have you ever priced what we spend on meals out? It's embarrassing, for me anyways. Like, it's just a lot. What if we ate in and gave that money away instead of, by the way, throwing away the groceries that we throw away in our fridge because we didn't eat them fast enough? Like, is, is that just me or do you do that too? Yeah, I have it. Yeah, it does. Okay, good. I'm not as horrible. I'm not the only horrible person in the room. I'm just... It comforts me to know that you're horrible too, okay? The habit of sacrifice, it's about ceasing comfort. So question, are you driven by comfort or are you driven actually by the mission of God? It's a great question. Let me give you one last thing here, and it's this. It's ceasing work. It's the habit of Sabbath rest. What it means is this. You pick a day of the week. Typically, it's Sunday, and you don't work. You actually rest. I don't know if you realize this, but your body and your mind was not created to work seven days a week. I don't care if it's work, work or at home work. It's still work. Your mind will break and your body will break. Quick story for you. Robert Morris, pastor in Texas, he wrote this book called Take the Day Off. It's a story of his life and how he broke. He had kept a rigorous schedule. He went into his closet one day. And when he went into his closet, he tried to find a pair of socks to match his outfit, and he couldn't do it. First of all, I'm jealous because when he says he walked into his closet, I don't have a closet I can walk into. I'm just saying, right? <laughs> he got a big closet. He found himself sitting on the floor of his closet, weeping, unable to move. And he dials a friend and says, I'm having a panic attack, a nervous breakdown. I think I need to quit pastoring. And the friend he called knew the schedule he kept. He said, you're not crazy. You're tired. Go to bed. And when you wake up, eat, and then go back to bed. And so he writes this book about how a pastor who's doing a lot of good things, a lot of holy things, and a lot of churchy things around the world broke. His mind broke. His body broke because he did not respect the rhythm of rest that God calls us to. I've been around this church for 21 years, and I know some of you, and this is actually your story. Maybe you didn't find yourself on the floor of your closet, but you broke. I just had this conversation with someone last week in our church. He shared his story with me about how he just broke. He physically could not do another thing. 
It's the habit of Sabbath rest and where you stop from working. Let me give you another habit under this rest. It's the habit of reflection. Question, do you actually know what drives you? I don't always, I'm not clear on it until I sit down and reflect and ask God, God, help me understand. What about the habit of play? You know that play is a very godly thing? That when you cease working, to get out and play is healthy. Now, this comes with a warning though, because my temptation is this. I love to play. So I'll go play and play (laughs) and play. And play becomes this thing where I'm not actually resting. I'm just, I really love to recreate and have a good time. The benefit, are you driven by fear or are you driven by trust? Like, well, what are you talking about? I don't work because of fear. Yes, you do. You're afraid that it all depends on you. You're afraid that your coworkers are going to get ahead of you. You're afraid that you're not going to have enough. You're not going to be enough. You're afraid and you actually have an issue with trusting God that he'll be your provider if you work six days a week. I'll say this, you work five days a week and you have a day at home where you're, that's family work. <clears throat> Fear and trust. Um, by the way, we almost wear this busyness as a badge of honor, don't we? Ask somebody today as you're walking out, hey, how you doing? They're like, busy, whoo, busy, really, really busy. And they say it as if like, I'm super busy. That means I'm significant. I'm really important. Because if I'm not busy, I might not be significant. Our culture's jacked. Last thought on this. Don't tinker with ceasing habits. And what I mean by this is this. You don't walk into two weeks and go like, I'm going to fast for a week. You get to the end, you're like, well, that was good. Now I'm going to Baskin Robbins for the rest of my life. Like, you you can't tinker with something and then think you are spiritual. And by this, I mean this. Ceasing should actually become a regular rhythm of our life. Now, let me give you permission. Go ahead and tinker with ceasing this week. Pick one thing. What will you stop doing? What will you cease from doing so that it will produce a spiritual benefit in your life? I want you to tinker with it so that you can figure out what works for you. Because you're like, I'm going to fast for 24 hours, one day a week. And you're going to find out real quick, that didn't work for me. I'm like chewing my arm off. Like Tinker with ceasing habits for the purpose that they might become a regular rhythm in your life. See, when we tinker, we pretend like we're deeply spiritual. But the reality is this. Ceasing was a part of the regular practice of Jesus. It says this in the scriptures, that Jesus went alone up on the mountain by himself, as was his habit. Silence and solitude, a habit for Jesus. Final question. Here it is. What will you do this week to tinker? What will you do this week to tinker with the healthy habit of ceasing so that you can find a rhythm to life where you're driven by your desire to please God rather than please yourself or please people? It's a long question. I'm going to read it again. What will you do this week to tinker with the healthy habit of ceasing so that you can find a rhythm to life where you're driven by your desire to please God rather than please yourself or please people. Um, quick question. Where's the gospel in this story? Because this can sound like a self-improvement plan. Hey, just do better. 
You can be a better person. Because Jesus said no when he wanted to say yes, he was obedient, perfectly obedient to God. And because of that, he was the spotless, blameless lamb of God who went to the cross on our behalf and died in our place so that we could be forgiven. That's the gospel story. So we receive forgiveness, but that's not alone. We receive relationship with God so that he can empower us to exercise those no muscles inside of us, not by our willpower, but by the power of the Holy Spirit within us so that we can live a life that glorifies God. But let's not sit in our seats and pretend like we have these strong no muscles. Let's just admit we're weak sometimes. And we say, we say yes, when we should have said no. But because Jesus followed God in obedience, you're welcomed into his family because of his obedience to the cross. Amen? But let's not use that to call it weak grace and take it for granted that we're just going to behave however we want. Let's step into a life of obedience and exercise no muscles. Are you with me in this? Stand. Let's respond to God as we sing.